You're listening to the World Football Program with all the latest updates from both local and international football. morning and welcome to the World Football Program on Radio Fremantle 107.9 FM. Myself, Penny Tanahoth, Louis Prospero and Miranda Templeman in the studio. Good morning, Lou. Good morning. You had a big day yesterday. Yes, the uh, Perth Soccer Club got the football community together, the business people. Great turnout. It's about 160-odd people there. Everybody trying to get some business going within the football family, you know, uh, looking after each other is what it's all about. Um, having the minister there, Rita Safiotti, uh, giving the views of planning changes for the future, um, the projects that the government uh, putting forward. And, and I picked up a very interesting point. She said how lucky we were in this state uh, to have a gathering because a lot of gatherings right across Australia can't happen anymore. Mm. But I picked her up on that point because I, I said to her, we're not lucky. I think we're well managed by the government. So you got to give kudos to the the government uh, in the way that they've been treating um, this disease mm. uh, and virus and uh, to keep us all safe. No matter how many bad influences we got coming from other areas, <laughs> we won't mention names because we don't want to get sued. Because <laughs> uh, I don't have that much money. <laughs> but no, it was great um, to have the the football community, and it wasn't just Perth Soccer Club. It was uh, other clubs who came and supported it, which shows that the football family is quite strong. Do you think next time you do it, you'll have enough space there? Well, this is <laughs> – I did actually bring that up with Gary. I thought, you know, because in my mind initially I thought, you know, two or 300 people, but I think hundred over 160, I think that was comfortable. Okay. And you don't want to get too big that in the sense that um, uh, it's uncomfortable and then people, you know, can't move around. 
But, you know, at the end of the day, why can't we still do the, the business networking when we're attain, attending games, you know? After the game or even at halftime, you could be standing there talking. So, you know, I, these people that I saw there yesterday, I've seen their faces Loads of time. I'll tell you why you, you can't do it at a lot of other places, Lou. It's, I think that you're very lucky, so to speak, at Perth Soccer Club. You've got a beautiful facility and there's maybe 10% of clubs in West Australia that have a fantastic facility that could maybe host something like that. Mm. Um, I mean, we couldn't host something like that at Mum FC unless we hired another ground to do it. We, we hired part of Murdoch University. You do it at Forest Field. Um, you could do it at Sterling Lions. You could do it at a few other clubs that we could maybe think of, but... Not a lot of places that could. So I mean, kudos to Perth Soccer Club that they've got that great facility and can bring all those people together. Well, a good point there, Penny. But if you look at um, Kingsway, you know they've just built that stand. Yep. So I know it's been taking a lot of years in the making, but when there's a will, um, and you, and this is where we got to be smarter business sense in the football community um, to get government on side. I mean. I just happened to be there the day that uh, the Premier turned up with the Minister for Sport at Kingsway because I sponsor also um, the Northern Redbacks. I was there just to support the girls and and watch them play. Um, And then the Premier rolls up and I thought, wow, this is fantastic. And he says, oh, by the way, we're going to spend $4 million here. <laughs> and I thought, well, okay. But again, there was a lot of lobbying with the local um, mayor, the local community, um, the local member, and also the... So you got to lobby. At the end of the day, we need to lobby mm-hmm. a lot better than we have been in the past. And have a place to lobby for and around, I think, as well. I'm, I'm going to move on. And we've also got young Miranda in the studio. Miranda, how are you going? Yeah, very well, thank you. You come back injury-free from your weekend down in Albany? Yep, I got a few bruised ribs in the game. But, um, <laughs> you know, back training and playing, I'm looking forward to the weekend against Curtin this week. Yes, you sound like you got a little bit of something in your throat there. Oh, yeah, we all um, actually came back sick. Um, from the Albany trip, and I know a lot of the Perth girls did as well. So I don't know whether it was bus germs or, you know, stuffy hotel air, but, you know, the team's kind of pulled up with a bit of a stuffy throat. Yeah, it's been a bit of a shocker that week. Something's going through my business as well, but I'm 100% at this moment, so, yeah, you keep your distance over there, young lady. Well, thanks, girls. You never told me before. <laughs> We're, we're all good. No temperatures on my part, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, the lineup this week is looking like this. We're going to have a chat to Sartak Mishra, who's the Community Participation Officer for Football West in the Great Southern. That is a very long title. He's going to talk about the football festival and what's happening across the region. Chris Nico, is that how you pronounce his surname, Lou? Niku. Niku. Okay, Chris Niku, who's the FFA Chair, Football Federation Australia Chair, about uh, what's happening in our national programs, appointments and things like that. We'll have a chat with Peter Rakic. Pete is the coach of the Mum FC NPL uh, W team. There was a lot of initials in that title too. Um, We're talking Women's National Premier League. Uh, Pete's come on board with a new squad into the competition to Mum FC and they're doing very well. Thank you very much sitting at the top of the table. And Tommy Dolman is going to have a chat to us about uh, local football. He's a match reporter for NPL. You would have heard him on the live streaming for the women's and the men's NPL. And he was in the studio a few weeks back talking football. 
A big thank you to our partners and sponsors, everyone who becomes a station member. A big thanks to West Coast Futsal Prosperity Strata Management, Lou, sitting in here. Thank you very much, Lou, for all your support. The program really do appreciate it. Uh, Oswest Fencing and Wrought Iron, Gate and Fence Hardware, WA. And uh, if you want to hop onto our Facebook page, if you've got any news or give a shout-out, you can do that. The World Football Program Facebook group is out there and being monitored. I think we'll go to a – actually, no, we won't. I'm going to just put in a plug here. The UEFA Women's Champions League um, final is coming up on – we hours of Monday morning. I think it's probably going to be something like 12.30 or 1.30 on SBS, our time. Arsenal and PSG. I'm very excited about that because mm-hmm. it's being promoted against uh, across various social platforms. Uh, Caitlin Ford will be playing for Arsenal. I can't think of any other Australians that come to mind. Can you, Miranda? Well, um, Lydia Williams uh, and Steph Catley have also signed, but I'm not sure if they'll be on the game day sheet. Yep. Uh, well, Lydia's just come out of surgery, hasn't she? I'm pretty sure, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, fingers crossed that uh, that'll all be good and she'll be playing again because the Women's Super League in England start in, I don't know, a matter of weeks. Yeah, early September, I'm pretty sure, first rounds. Yeah, it's interesting talking about leagues happening in places where COVID is still mm. pretty, yeah, pretty intense. But, um, yeah, so what, what's your news of the week, Lou? What do you reckon? Is it the Business Network meeting being a success yesterday? Um... Yeah, I guess so. It, it was uh, a big build-up. I mean, <laughs> we earmarked it to have it on May 8th. So it was blown out of the water, obviously, for obvious reasons. Um, so it's been a long time coming. Uh, and uh, we're looking on the success of yesterday to have more. Good. Miranda, news of the week for you? Yeah, probably just the Albany trip uh, last weekend, which was really good to go away with the girls. You know, obviously didn't come away with a win, but it was a really good game of football and I think it showcased women's and men's football because you obviously had the um, Perth Glory versus Sorrento game, which was a massive game. We watched the first half, I think, before warming up and it was really great quality football. Um, and I think we got, you know, over a 1,000 spectators at the game. So it was really good showcasing football in the down south areas. Yep, it was actually one of the rounds for the NPL women and the men, so mm-hmm. it was actual fixture that was being played. We are going to go to a break and come back and chat more football. This is Penn, Lou and Miranda in the studio on the World Football Program. You're listening to the World Football Program with all the latest updates from both local and international football.
no idea what happened to the computer then, but here we are live talking more football. This is Penn, Lou and Miranda in the studio and our guest on the line is Sartak Mishra, the Community Participation Officer for Great Southern for Football West. That is one huge title, Sartak. Welcome to the program. Good morning, Penn. Yes, it is a quite a long title. Thanks for having me today on the World Football Program. You're very welcome. And does the title encompass all of the area that you've got to cover? I think of Great Southern, I think of Esperance, Albany, Denmark, I think of a lot of areas. There is a lot of areas in the Great Southern, that's correct. Do you travel to all those areas promoting football? Yes, we do. Um, And actually, an interesting fact, last year I covered more than 6,000 kilometres to service (laughs) and deliver the programmes. Wow. Tell us something. some of the things that you do down there to promote football. Uh, so our programs range for a number of categories and for all of, um, you know, all of the walks of the society. We run programs for as young as three to four-year-old children, and then we go all the way to senior citizens for our walking football program. So we have a couple of programs for the young ones where it's all about having fun and learning the game by playing. Then we move up in the age and have some performance-specific programs for the youth. And then obviously we have a huge uh, competition down here, both in terms of participation and elite pathways. And then we move on to walking football program, which is also quite popular, particularly in Albany. So there's a range of programs that we deliver throughout the year down here. And uh, I know that the football festival was held at the Centennial, I think it's called the Centennial Oval down in Albany. Is that the hub of football for Albany? Like, do all the different clubs play their football there? Centennial Stadium is actually a hub for, it, it has been a hub for Australian rules football for a long time. Uh, but given the, the size and scale of festival of football, we have certain standards for National Premier League. And Centennial Stadium was the only oval that was fulfilling all those categories. So we chose that oval for this festival. Gotcha. So do the local leagues in the Great Southern or the Albany area, do they play at lots of different venues or do they have a hub-type system for their leagues? They do have a hub-type system, which is on North Road. It's called the Soccer and Cricket Pavilion. They've got massive six fields, six senior fields, and then a couple of junior fields. And it's like a carnival every Saturday morning to evening. You've got hundreds and thousands of players playing there in one hub and it's an absolute, uh, absolutely wonderful feeling to go down and watch uh, those games throughout the day. There's some business networking opportunities for you, Louis. Hmm. <laughs> oh, that's statewide. But uh, the, the community uh, participation, do you um, promote that at school level as well? Sorry, what's that? So recruiting for community participation, do you go to into the schools down this Great Southern as well? Yeah, we do. So we have covered a number of schools and particularly focusing on remote schools. We have been as far as to Nyabing, Borden, Wellstead, Denmark, uh, and I was actually recently in Lake King, and I got to know it's quite cold there, so we were delivering <laughs> clinics in 2 degrees Celsius. Yeah, we do engage with all the schools down here. Yeah, the, the thing is, with the Great Southern, it's um, a beautiful area that you're working in, by the way. Uh, but w- what what are you seeing as far as uh, participation lay, uh, levels in our football uh, compared to other sports down there? Good question, Luke. Yeah, well, look, 
as, as you might know, soccer, football is the fastest growing sport in the nation. And definitely it's one of the high, you know, highest participating sport down in the great southern as well. And you can imagine by the number of teams we receive in our multi-sport carnival for schools, it generally represents which sport is doing, uh, you know, how in terms of participation. We did some school carnivals last year, and I actually did one this weekend coming up one week. We have got as many as three times of uh, participation teams compared to any other sport, um, and that represents a huge number of participation down here. We have about 5,000 participation in total, and then we have about 2,000 registered players who play in our weekend leagues down here. When you say down there, do you mean right across the Great Southern or do you mean in Albany? Um, it is. Well, they all play in Albany, but the participation also comes from the towns like Mount Barker and Denmark. And the participation numbers include some of the programs that we run in likes of Kitanning, schools and those kind of things. But the registration numbers are usually Albany, Denmark and Mount Barker. So when you say the 2,000, are you talking that the teams come to Albany to play their hub football? So wherever they are outside of Albany, they come in every Sunday to play at a partic- that particular stadium? Yes, every Saturday they travel down here um, and then play in that particular hub. And games start as early as 9 o'clock and go all the way to 8 p.m., 7 p.m. It's a full day of football happening back to back. That could be a lot of coffees and hot dogs being sold. <laughs> that could generate some income for whoever's hosting that. Yeah, usually the clubs uh, run the canteen. It is a great opportunity for them to raise some funds that can be you know, reinvested in the clubs and community and football in general. And how, how did it affect um, with COVID down there, given that um, there wasn't any reports in that area um, so it seemed that everybody down there was immune from what what was happening in the major cities around the country. So did they continue on with the sport or they just shut down as well? Well, Lou, we were taking precautions uh, throughout the nation, as you know, So, and we did the same. So we were no different. We were taking precautions and we did shut down all football activities for about two and a half to three months. Yeah. Um, but in that span, we were trying to do, we were trying to explore other avenues of servicing the community. So we were looking into running online classes, doing mental wellness, you know, having uh, lots of chat with our players in terms of how the elite pathway are going to look like. But we did we did pause the activities for quite a few time, um, and then obviously we came back with the festival of football. So that was sort of the sort of one of the biggest festival of football and football event throughout the state after COVID. It was good to um, get everyone out on the pitches. Is the festival of football an annual event down in Albany? So the festival of football is an annual event for football west. And it happens in one of the regional areas every year. I believe this was the fourth festival of football. Uh, the, the previous ones we had in Goldfields, Geraldton, and the last last year we had it in Bustleton. And this year we came out to came down to Albany and hosted it over here. Fantastic! And uh, young Miranda here, who's in the studio, was part of the NTC team that travelled down there and. She was saying that there's um, maybe about a thousand people or so that were watching the games. That's that's very good. Good promotion. 
Yes, that was actually quite exciting to see how the whole soccer community, the whole community actually uh, supported the event. It was really nice to see a lot of kids, uh, you know, people across all sorts of ages and um, genders. It was a family-friendly program. So it was really good to see um, all these four teams coming down, playing high level of football and inspiring young generations down here. Yeah, I do know that um, within our team we had a player who grew up in Denmark and on Perth's team you had Jen Onions who grew up in Albany. So I think they all had a lot of family and friends come down and watch the match and support them, which was a really good environment to play in. And we also need to remember that Lydia Williams came from Catanning as well. So that's where she started. Yep. Mm. All the way to the Matildas. So it's, it doesn't matter... Um, where you're based in, if you've got that dream, it shows... There's a pathway. It, yeah, exactly. Yep. So. Yeah, Lisa Devona was down there too. She's um, quietly come back from playing over in Italy and um, popped her head up there. So it was good to see a, well, I'm not sure if I should say former Matilda or Matilda. Mm-hmm. So we'll just say uh, Lisa Devona, who is a great um, Matilda, um, representing... Uh, Perth and and West Australian and going down there and no doubt <clears throat> no doubt she would be signing autographs and and things like that and used by Football West to help promote you know everything that was happening down there on the festival day and and also Dave Kindness from Mum FC popped his head up I'm like, what are you doing down there Dave I'm down here to promote football <laughs> it just shows it's it's everywhere in the world I mean you can go to the back you know the back of any uh, region. And you'll see football. So mm-hmm. anywhere in the world. So it's fantastic. And I think you're doing a great job down there too. Um, Have you got so. a group of people to help you down there or is it just you at this moment, Sartak? Well, it's, well, I'm the Football West Development Officer, now retitled as Community Participation Officer. Uh, but we do have coaches and volunteers. You know, They help out in all our programs and it, uh, it wouldn't have been possible if they were not helping out, so a massive shout out to all our volunteers and coaches um, who help us deliver all these fantastic programs for everyone down here. Yep. What do you think are some of the unique selling points of football in the Great Southern? Are there some pretty amazing places where football is played? I mean, obviously there's the hub system where you know Denmark and whatever surrounding areas they come into play in Albany, but you know their training obviously happens out in their areas. Have, have you been out to the the clubs or the there were the training spaces and thought, wow, this is pretty amazing. This is a great place to work. Yeah, it is. Uh, you know, apart from the fact that Albany is the biodiversity hotspot, uh, there's pretty amazing places. You know, when we go out to places like Denmark, it's got some beautiful beaches and uh, we were planning to actually host a beach football program, a sort of competition down there. We did a beach football program in Albany and, and you just go to these beaches and see how beautiful they are um, and how good the environment is and you play soccer with, soccer there with a couple of uh, people, you know, you see them smiling. So it, it makes me really feel um, satisfied and happy and, you know, fulfilling that we are down here making a difference and people are enjoying their sport, they are living a healthy lifestyle and that's what we are all about. So I take what, where is your base? Where, where do you uh, reside in the Great Southern? I, I live in Albany itself. Okay. So, so use yeah, that as a base yeah. to go to all those different areas. Yeah, okay. that's right. You were saying about possibly doing some beach football. I think in 
the New Year period, uh, Denmark have a massive festival. I'm not sure if it will be held um, this coming New Year because of an obvious, but um, they get thousands and thousands of people down into that area and it's a really nice warm time of year. So when you're talking about beach football, I'm sure in the middle of winter beach football might be a bit nippy. Is <laughs> uh, it right? Ar- yeah. Arctic. Uh, in the water, um, not saying that they'd be beach football and playing in the water, but um, yeah, that, I know there's probably a couple of things that happen around the Albany and Great Southern areas where a lot of people gather that you could, you know, piggyback onto with the football thing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we our plans were to incorporate these competitions with these festivals. You know, in Albany we get the Middleton Beach Festival, and then we have festivals in Denmark. So what we are trying to do is make football well, you know, all year around. And some of the programs like beach football, street football, summer competitions, these are some things that we plan to run throughout summer so that we can keep our players, coaches, volunteers, administrators engaged throughout the year. So definitely don't want to play beach football in winter. (laughs) (laughs) But Mendelton Beach, I've stayed there, uh, Sartak, and it's just a beautiful part of the world and there's a lot of beach sand area that it lends itself to to have those sort of competitions and as penny said i mean it's ideally uh, going there during summer because it's not the heat that we get up here in perth so yes. the, you still got like the the high 20s but you're not getting to the 30s or 40s that makes it uncomfortable mm, yeah and it's a good holiday spot too if you combine that with football. Yeah, and absolutely. Yeah. Bit of a dream really for some of us. <laughs> yeah, and you must be living the dream, uh, Sartak, down there. <laughs> it is, Lou, you know, and uh, we have a shark-proof net at Middleton Beach. <laughs> That's <laughs> a very important. <laughs> um, after yeah. a game of beach soccer, yeah. So it's, nah, it's, it's been really good down here. The soccer community is really strong. And, you know, even if you see the female participation, it's been up to 60% on last year. Wow. Um, and we have one of the highest rates of female registrations, which is at 35%. Wow, that's um, great. Higher than any other regions in the state. And to to make these programs more sustainable and to promote the female registrations and participation, we also opened up a female-only training program in Katanning. So Katanning is sort of a very multicultural um, down and we didn't have any sort of formal football there before so we started up a female only training center and we have got about 25 uh, young ladies there training and playing football so there is huge uh, you know potential in the region yeah Yeah. yeah, and we are trying to we're trying to make our sport accessible for everyone down here and, and throughout the nation so it's good to see all those little pockets growing and you know nurturing and trying to pick those elite pathways and it might be interesting to actually bring some of the Matildas who started there, like I said, Lydia and Lisa, and, and promoting for girls down there, given that we were having the World Cup here in 23. Yeah. Yeah, terrific. That'll be terrific. So obviously when, when these young ladies see, you know, their, uh, their idols and their heroes and all these great players, they're always looking forward to such opportunities. We were planning to take them up to Perth for a couple of uh, early games, but unfortunately COVID uh, is bad and we couldn't do that. But we'll keep looking into those opportunities where we can potentially get some high-level players to come down and have a chat with them, You know, give them a bit of support. It's always good and always positive. 
Yep. Um, yeah, just to wrap up the conversation, I really like the hub system that um, you're giving us a little bit of a, a picture about that happens there. Um, the Great Southern area is big. If you think of Albany to Esperance, Albany to Katani, Albany to um, Denmark, they're, they're fairly large distances that uh, families have to travel to participate in the sport that they love and, and it clearly works because there's a thriving competition and, and numbers are up. So well done on, on whatever the whole region is is doing there and uh, it's great to hear that you're enjoying your job and in such a beautiful place. I really do appreciate you joining us today. Thank you. Thank you very much, Penny. You Thank have you a well. wonderful weekend. Enjoy your football. Keep up the good work, Sartak. Thank you, Lou. Bye. Bye-bye. That was Sartak Mishra, who is the Community Participation Officer in the Great Southern slash Development Officer for Football West. Whew. A lot of miles, 6,000 kilometres travelled last year. That is one hell of an odometer reading. Yeah, uh, but it's, it seems what he's doing is working. He's doing a great job. And people don't realise, you know, Football West staff, they work 12 months of the year. It's not just during the football season. The, the development It's not just a nine-to-five job. Yeah, it, that's way. right. <laughs> so, you yeah. know, um, there's always been a lot of – and I was speaking to Sharif, the chair, yesterday – um, and it always concerns me that, you know, Football West uh, gets criticised. But, you know, I said to him that your staff is always, from my experience, your staff is always willing to help if you just ask for it. So they're there. And he said, yeah, we, we don't hear enough of that. Mm-hmm. That, you know, people just stand back and they don't approach them, but they just criticise them. Well, don't do that. Call them. Yeah. Ask for the assistance. They always roll out the carpet for you. Yeah, there's a lot of hours, um, you know, in any any kind of job. If you do fly in, fly out, or you do uh, crazy hours, and that could be considered like uh, burnout. You need a rest and whatever. So there's a lot of passion involved in the people working at Football West. They love their football. That's clear. Well, I mean, yeah. clearly, Sartak, six thousand yeah. kilometres, man. <laughs> that's a lot of work just in driving. <laughs> All right, uh, and just uh, we should say too that the two uh, NPL games that were played round seven for the NTC and Perth Soccer Club Women's NPL, NTC one and Perth Soccer Club two, sorry, Miranda, <laughs> and the men's NPL was the round eight fixture, Sorrento five and Perth Glory one. So uh, well done on, on uh, the football festival being an event that uh, yeah, carried some weight in the community. Great. I, I just love that. Uh, hub system down there. It's good to hear. We're going to go to break and come back and chat more football with Chris Niku, who is the FFA chair. This is Penn, Lou and Miranda on the World Football Program. West Coast Futsal accommodates for players of all skill levels and ages. Four great locations around Perth. We have a time and a venue to suit anyone's busy week. From social men's, women's or mixed games to A-grade competition, we've got you covered. Games are played night and day, indoor and outdoor, all year round. So grab five mates and come down for a game today. Oh, give me land, lots of land under starry skies above. 
Auswest Fencing and Royal Tryon. Are you looking to build or replace your gates or fencing? The Auswest team can offer four generations of advice, materials and kit assemblies for your unique fence and gate project. We specialise in colour bond, aluminium, steel and timber gates. Check out our galleries at auswestfencing.com.au That's A-U-S-W-E-S-T fencing.com.au Do you want better strata management? Put Prosperity Strata Management at the top of your list. We provide a flat competitive fee with no extra or hidden charges. We provide value for money repairs with contractor prices reviewed regularly. And we provide prompt professional service with 30 years experience, which is why our clients recommend us. Your property is our concern. See prosperitystratamanagement.com.au Station Sponsor. Welcome back to the World Football Program, Radio Fremantle 107.9 FM. Thank you, everybody, for listening in. Another weekend of football underway. Myself, Penn, Miranda and Lou in the studio with you. And our guest is the Football Federation Australia Chair, Chris Niku. Good morning, Chris. Morning, guys. Nice to be with you. Thank you. Uh, good afternoon to you, I suspect it is, already over there. Uh, yes, from Lock from lockdown central unfortunately. <laughs> that's, another, that's another story yes it's uh, contrasting isn't it we're pretty happy over here we can have a little bit of a laugh and we can walk out of the studio and go watch our football and be pretty much yeah happy to jump into the football environment as per normal so our thoughts are with you on that one uh, thank you it, it's uh it's a pretty crazy season for football like we just talked about there's different things happening in different parts of australia what's your take on the A-League for this season, it's been pretty quiet over this side of the country, Chris. Yeah, I think that's more because of the hub model. Um, I'm, I'm glad that we finished the season off or about to finish the season off. I've, I've really enjoyed the, the last sort of 30 days and the glory are, you know, are in the mix. They've got an elimination sudden death final tonight. Yep. Um, and it's, I think, at the pointy end now. We've, this will all be over in, in the next eight days, so I think buckle in for the next uh, week or so. Um the hub model, I think, has been a bit of a challenge, but credit to the players and the clubs as to how they've responded. Um, but hopefully your listeners and I think the viewers around the country will have enjoyed the last month or so. Certainly the digital numbers that uh, we announced earlier today show some really strong trends. Uh, I think they're up about 30% digitally uh, over the last A-League season. So that's been very uh, pleasing. Yeah, that, that's actually really good to hear. Over here in WA, Football West have live-streamed all of our... NPL men's and women's games, and they are steadily increasing. The women's live stream participation numbers online have been pretty good, outstripping some of the men's games, which is great. Mm. And attendance down at the grounds has been pretty good too, especially for the women's. So uh, the, uh, the live yeah, streaming is an absolute bonus for this year. I think it's it's the way forward, and obviously we've got one year to go on our Foxtel deal, but uh, all those sorts of options I think will come into play for our sport. And certainly, you know, James Curtis and Sharif Andrews, who head football West, um, I think are leading the way on that front, so that, that's good to hear. Yeah, um, it's June 25th and June 26th will be embedded in your mind for years to come, uh, Chris. Um, have you lost a smile on your face yet? Um. I've got some mates who keep showing me that last clip where we sort of celebrated the good news and criticised me for not getting up a bit quicker off my chair. But <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Oh, look, I, that, that was a special day. I mean, we've got some wonderful days on the park for football. I think off the park, that's up there. And I think it's a reward, not just for the FFA management team and, and our stakeholders, whether that was clubs, the Women's Council, the PFA or our member feds, all of whom helped, but really a reward for a lot of people in the football community who have supported the women's game over a number of decades and sort of are unsung heroes in my eyes. Uh, and for everyone to be rewarded, uh, I think, with a, a World Cup, first time Australia will host a senior World Cup of any sort, I think is, is a wonderful reward. But Chris, people, can you enlighten the uh, listeners? I mean, people just think that, you know, these things are just put together in a month or two and uh, then you win a bid. It, it doesn't work that way. I, I think by you attending the uh, Women's World Cup in France, um, and, you know, starting your networking back, and it may be even further back than that, you know, the networking yeah. with different people. Yeah. Uh, so how long did it take to get this bid together to, to win? It was a year, two years, three years? Uh, it was at least three to four, Lou, to, to be honest. I mean, um, the genesis for the bid is actually the, the previous chairman and Steve Lowy uh, with David Gallup, who came to the then board, say, notwithstanding our previous experience around... 2022, we should give the Women's World Cup a um, bit of shot, um, and the board then agreed. Um, we put together a working party, and at, at that stage, we started uh, the lobbying, really, uh, whether it was via ASEAN and, and the AFC, but as you say, also um, the Women's World Cup in France. When they took the tournament from 24 countries to 32, that put a greater demand on facilities, and it made sense to then join forces with New Zealand. So we would be having sort of weekly calls with our New Zealand colleagues and government um, about how to best position this. And it sort of accelerated from about December last year when the bid books were in. And then we had inspections uh, by the FIFA delegation. And leading into the actual vote, because we couldn't travel, we had a weekly or sort of daily Zoom calls with as many FIFA council members as we could just to get our messages across to them about the really strong aspects of, uh, of the joint bid. Chris... So, yeah, a lot, a lot of hours that probably don't get seen. Yeah. Chris, uh, we've been on air for over 30 years uh, here in Fremantle and when um, young Anne O'Dong was uh, starting out on her football journey. Uh, she was in the studio here, and um, I'd like to think that the only reason we got the bid is because she's on the bidding team and she helped Australia get it because that's, that's how I think of her involvement in football. I know that's not true, okay, but um, she's put a lot of, <laughs> she did put a lot of work in with football over the years, and, and I'm, I'm happy she seems to be landing in a place that's um, using her talents very well. I think Benny, she's a great example of an unsung hero. Great effort for many years, and I'm certainly not going to detract from her contribution. Um, and I'm very pleased that uh, she's in a good spot and she's helping us. So that's a good outcome. Absolutely. So where do we go from here, Chris? I mean, I, I saw the interview uh, on Fox of the day. Um, you looked a bit shabby, I must say, but you didn't sleep all night, so that's a fair call. Uh, I think in fairness to me, Lou, I've got two hours. <laughs> and having Lydia next to you, um, we were just talking uh, not long ago to um, uh, a Football West uh, employee that's in the Great Southern where um, Lydia started, 
Well, she was actually born in Kentani, you know, in a regional area here in Western Australia. Um, and he was just saying that, you know, that the participation now of girls in that area is skyrocketed. Um, so where do we go from here now with the girls wanting to see their heroes? Are, are the, um, with the promoting, I know we've got to do it worldwide, but also in our uh, regional communities to get the interest of the girls wanting to play our football? Yeah, uh, I think that's exactly right, Lou. Uh, if you look at the uh, the Asian Cup of 2015, we saw a spike around participation numbers generally as a consequence of that. I would expect, and we are planning for a much major spike around the Women's World Cup of boys and girls, but especially girls. I think with the alignment of um, the calendar going forward, uh, I would like to see the next generation of Matildas get their shot at local... Um, and national level and hopefully the international level going forward. So they're all things that we're, we're trying to position. Uh, the W League is obviously in a pause at the moment, but it will resume a bit later on this year. And I think we'll start to see our next generation of female players getting a shot on that stage. Is the future Matildas program kicking back in? Yeah, we're trying to do as much as we can. It's consistent with uh, not only our bid book, but our general philosophy I'm not sure if your listeners have had a chance to look at our uh, 11 principles. We have talked about that. Yeah. um, So we're at an interesting point there. We've we've had wide consultation, not just with our uh, members, but also over 3,000 survey feedbacks, which the senior management team is distilling and will refine the the principles. But the Young Matildas is an important part because our core business going forward is national teams and community uh, football and pathways. So our Football Development Committee, which includes Amy Duggan, a former Matilda, and which also um, has the benefit of the intelligence of the, what's been called the Starting Eleven, uh, are really uh, diving into these things and how to best position the sport um, around our national teams. So you said that the W League's in pause at the moment. We know that there's been an exodus of our very experienced Matilda's players over into the European leagues and they're starting in a few weeks. Uh, we've already got some of those amazing players playing in the European Champions League. We've got Sam Kerr playing at Chelsea. We've got players playing across Scandinavian countries, uh, which indicates to all of us that the players in our W League, should it proceed, will be younger. Um, and that hence the conversation about the future Matilda's program. If we identify players will those players be identified and playing here in Australia or will those players be identified and playing in other places around the world that benefits their football growth and, and there's another one in here too, you'll have a lot to answer, Chris, <laughs> um, and how are we going with bringing them together with the right coach? Yeah, so, okay, there's a little bit there. So I think you said should it go ahead, the W League will go ahead. It's an important part of our offering. Yep. Um, yeah, look. The reality is we've had uh, Matildas, the players, take up contracts overseas, um, and that's probably a good thing. They're playing in, in strong leagues. If it was the men's side of the game, we'd be saying how good is that. Uh, what it does do, however, is create space now for the next generation of Matildas coming through at the W League. And if you look at our principles again, or even talk to the PFA, the importance of getting minutes into players is paramount. Yep. So... Um, 
you know, there are A-League teams that don't have a W-League licence and they, they would like one, and that's probably a discussion for a later date. But I think for next season, we want to get up and running. We want a strong season and we want to unearth as much talent as we can and get minutes into them uh, because history tells us that's their best chance of uh, going on and having uh, strong international careers. And it keeps the other ones on toes, right, because you've got the development of the youth coming through. Um, they're showing a lot of potential. Uh, and by doing so, um, the established players think to themselves, well, you know, I can't sit, get complacent. Um, and they've got to, you know, perform even better, Chris. I think Miranda's in there somewhere, isn't she? She's probably she is. Very yeah. She is. Uh, <laughs> um, no, I think, look, competition in whatever walk of life is important, and, and I think it's a unique sort of two or three... Actually, if you look at the next four years, we've got a delayed Olympics in 21, which which the Matildas have qualified for, so those spots are up for grabs because there'll be a new coach coming in. Everyone wants to prove themselves. There's a home World Cup, which has never happened before, and in 24, there's another Olympics, so... There's certainly a lot of competitions on the Matilda side where players will want to showcase what they can do in the hope of participating in one or all of those tournaments. So, Chris, are you aware we've got something in the um, in the air or uh, how we cultivate great goalkeepers over here? We had <laughs> Tracy Wheeler, uh, Wheeler uh, Lydia... We've got Miranda coming through. Denise Lofthouse. Yeah, mm-hmm. and we, um, well, we've got Rob Sabika in the men's. We had the Pekovic brothers. Yep. Uh, yep. Tony Franken. So there's a, a lot of potential over here in Western Australia. Um, and also saying that we, we are going to have some games in the 23 uh, World Cup over here. Have have you earmarked how many games are going to be played in, in particular centres yet, or is that still got to be Yeah, no, so that's, that's a matter for FIFA to determine. So shortly after we were awarded the, the joint rights, um, we had a kick-off session with FIFA, uh, and unlike uh, other tournaments, um, there won't be a local organising committee. It'll be FIFA-driven. Um, and so in rough terms, Lou, their indicative timeline was they were to come back out to Australia to inspect... Uh, venues, you know, base camps and training facilities in about September uh, of this year and look to make a decision on the, the carve-up of games and things of that nature about December of this year. The reality, because of COVID and the inability to travel, um, they will probably have to do that um, virtually and that will probably also mean that the decisions will be pushed into the first quarter of 2021. But... Um, I would expect any host city would get at least four games. Well, you have to speak to our Premier to make sure they get ex- <laughs> exemption to get well, in. Well, we're, we're always happy to put the talk to and put their best foot forward. But, you know, uh, Perth is an important part of the bid and we'd like to, to get a maximum content for the Australian cities and also, you know, um, infrastructure spend around the country uh, building up to the, uh, the Women's World Cup. Yeah, look, just on that point, it's absolutely fantastic hearing the government here in Western Australia putting money into facilities in a big kind of way, and Kingsway's the first one that comes to mind, but there'll be... Yeah, but also the home of football here, Absolutely. Chris, you know, that we, we've been... <laughs> we are the only... Believe it or not, we are the only sport in this state that doesn't have a home, so uh, as far as facility-wise. So finally, we've got a government that's backed it, which is great. Uh, as 
Penny said, you know, two or three weeks ago, they uh, one of our local clubs they've uh, now um, supporting them by uh, announcing a, a four million dollar upgrade in in um, that local park there as well. So the but the question I I really struggle with for many years, Chris, is that you know I don't care what sport any child plays, but you know uh, it seems that certain sports get more funding than others. What is the FFA, as far as not just state but also federal government, saying, okay, if you guys want to play tennis or you want to play, you know, want to do archery or football or whatever code you want to play, that it's, you know, dollar for dollar on participation and not for um, want of a better word, the perception of more popular sports? Yeah, I don't think we've helped ourselves as a sport, Lou, historically, because we've tended to go to governments in a piecemeal fashion, and we've been quite acutely conscious in the last uh, 12 months or so that we don't do that. Um, you, you mentioned some great outcomes for the home of football in WA, and there are other examples like that around the country. But what we've been doing is working with our member feds in a united way. So we have a government strategy group which includes uh, Carla Wilshire as the director and member fed representatives. And so we are trying to make sure that we are uniform in the way we approach governments around the country and highlight what are some you know, very strong statistics about football, namely our obviously 2 million-odd participants and just the impact that we can have. So I think we just need to be smarter in how we deliver our message to government and the benefit that we can deliver to the communities. That's that's what I think ultimately is going to mean that we get a better share of the infrastructure pie. And with with the announcement that you know of what winning the World Cup, we got to keep the um, the ball rolling. We got to keep the enthusiasm going as well, don't you think, Chris? There is, and so again, if you, if I take it back to the um, the Women's World Cup, one of the pillars in our bid document was the legacy piece, um, and that includes infrastructure. It also includes a lot of other things, such as making Australia a bit of a hub for the AFC and ASEAN as far as women's affairs is concerned. But on the infrastructure, there is a dedicated team that is working, as I said, with member feds about maximising um, government investment in that sport. Chris, just on the A-League season, which is wrapping up now, we're into the elimination finals. It has been a little bit quiet in terms of the profile of Perth Glory over here, although... We are six on the table. We're in the finals. This is our shot to get further into the... Six to one, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Glory. Um, just for our listeners out there, the table finished with Sydney on top 53 points, um, Melbourne City, uh, Wellington Phoenix, who have done absolutely fantastic this season, played some great football, uh, Brisbane Raw, Western United for their first year in have done great sitting on fifth and Perth Glory who are sixth in that table out of the 11. Um, so it's a funny old year. What are we looking at for next year? Are we going to change the season for the A-League, Chris? Yeah, I, I think that's on the cards. I don't think it's a secret that under the new uh, Foxtel deal, uh, provisionally the season is supposed to run next year from December through to about July. So that's probably two months later than normal. I think with still some COVID restrictions around um, the country, plus um, a need to recalibrate a few things. I would expect the A-League to kick off probably in January uh, and maybe a little bit later, but let's just say January for the moment. So we'll have a window for the season that's January through to about end of July. 
that starts to line itself, I think, more neatly with grassroots football around the country, which again dovetails into our our principles of a, of a standard football calendar for the sport across the country, whether that's FFA Cup, A-League, W-League, community football, international football. So, so just to clarify, do you mean that uh, our typical winter season, which is uh, around about uh, March through to September, it's going to eventually line up with that? Uh, I think we're going to test it next year. That's the reality. It's, it's a bit of a stepping stone. Um, circumstances have pushed us that way with the late finish this year, yep. plus the broadcast deal. So we get a chance to see what I'd say January to July, August season looks like. We don't want to be cutting across any content on the ground in, in, in states like uh, WA, but we start to see uh, greater alignment. And will that coverage include the W League by Fox? So Yes, that's all part of the deal. The W League, I think, should be starting probably about November. I'm still waiting on a report on that, but... Um, Yes, it's all the deal that we did with Fox included uh, the W League. Fantastic. And uh, in regard to the model for the A League um, and coverage and ownership, et cetera, going forward, how's that panning out? So we've got constructive dialogue uh, with the uh, the club owners. So we've been united in trying to get this season finished, uh, which, as I said, we're sort of about to do. Um, then we're in the process of trying to finalise what's been called the decoupling stage. And so that next season will be the first, I think, full season where the A-League owners uh, will have control of the keys and the steering wheel, if you like it. Yep, okay. So ongoing talks. It's uh, it's yep. a big one, isn't it? But it has been a crazy season and uh, needs must. We've needed to get the football underway and that's the most important thing because we want to see that played. We want to see it... Uh, sharing the brand in the community and um, making sure that the fans and members out there have something to engage with. So, you know, that's obviously the most important thing and the other things can just keep getting worked on in the background, so to speak. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, you, you know, you mentioned about Perth maybe being a little bit starved um, and just purely COVID-driven because there was no home games at NIB Stadium, yes. obviously, because we had to go into a hub model. But also, I think, as a consequence, it's a pretty wide-open final series in the A-League. Um, the, the geography's been taken out of it. So, you know, uh, Glory are playing Wellington tonight, but they're playing it in, in Sydney. They're not playing them in Wellington, right? So yeah. um, it sort of neutralises um, that home ground advantage. So I think it's pretty open. Uh, I think anyone who goes on a roll, uh, it's, it's eight days. If they hit form at the right time, um, they can be crowned champions. Mm, just in terms of the W League, you're saying that's hoping to kick off in November. With that, are you looking at doing a hub system like the A League or returning to a normal home and away season? That, 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 that's one of the things we had need to get our heads around mm-hmm. at the moment because Victorian, my home state in particular, where you can't even train, becomes problematic, right? Um, we don't have those restrictions elsewhere, so we, we will need to have a look at that. Uh, as to how we can best cater for um, the, the W League season. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, you've got the exodus of um, Matildas, which, as you said, will result in a very young W League team. So that could create issues going on if you do end up having to go into a hub system, taking young players away from school and family can, you know, be mentally tolling and challenging. But, um, yeah. Good point. Mm. Yeah, I think they're all they're all factors, and the player welfare is certainly right up there as an important factor. Mm. Um, asking people to live in a hub environment 
is a, is a change and it's got its own pressures and restrictions. So we've just got to be conscious about um, all those personal requirements and the need to obviously have the season. It's trying to find the right balance. But yeah. Well, we will welcome a hub here in Western Australia anytime, Absolutely. Chris. Absolutely. <laughs> come on over. <laughs> I'd love to come on over. <laughs> well, you've been, you've been here many times and uh, we appreciate that because, you know, yeah. by doing that, you're showing us that we matter and that we're being supported by the FFA, um, which, you know, being in Western Australia, we didn't feel that in the past. And, uh, you know, it's a kudos to you mm. personally. Uh, we thank you for doing that. No, my pleasure. I see everyone as important in the football family and whether that's, you know, Northern Territory or down to Tassie or WA, you know, we're all Australians and it's our sport and we've yeah. all got a role to play. So, Absolutely. Um, I, I wish everyone the best. Chris, thanks very much for joining us and uh, sharing all that information. Um, hope you'll join us again and give us, uh, just share the football love around a little bit. We appreciate your time today. Better still, I have to do it in the studio next time. Yeah, are you're you, on. <laughs> are you in saying that? Are you coming across uh, when the FIFA officials are, are going around the country? Well, once we know what it looks like, if I'm able to travel, um, I will certainly uh, want to come over. The other thing that I think Perth is well positioned to help us with is our relationships with ASEAN, the Southeast Asian nation. Absolutely, I'd like to, to do something. Uh, through Perth, I flagged that already at ASEAN level, um, and of course we had a Socceroos match that was scheduled, yeah, exactly. Perth, which we had to postpone. So yeah. once we can get the international calendar up and running, I'd, I'd, I'd like us to, to play the game there as, as soon as we can. Well, let us know when you're coming, and be more than welcome to to be here with you. Yeah, I'd love to. Good on you. Thanks ya. for your time. Thanks, Thanks Chris. Chris. Have a safe weekend. Thank you. You too. Bye. That was Chris Niku, who is the Chair of Football Federation Australia. It, lots on the football table for the administration of football in Australia to be thinking about. Um, love your point, Miranda, about the youth. And if we're talking about young teenagers who are going to be stepping up, stepping up and playing in a national league, how that's going to be managed is is a big one. Mm, yeah, I know, you know, going away with the junior Matildas last year, that's, you know, a couple months at a time and it does become challenging balancing your studies, but I do think it can be married, managed very well. Like when we were away, we had lots of downtime for studies and our schools were communicating with FFA and I think that's one of the things they are very mindful of and I'm sure they'll do a great job. I think one thing that COVID has shown us this year is that our reliance maybe on technology has mm. been a heck of a lot and well when school shut down and it all went online then we were doing exactly what we're probably talking about now is that if the young people are going to be playing sport at a higher level can they have an online curriculum um, and it might be okay in the private school set up it might be a better managed system in the public system how that's going to be managed mm -hmm. and who's going to facilitate that management yeah so Lots of questions, not so many answers. Um, but, yeah, it's... But uh, surely happens elsewhere in the world. So why yeah. are we trying to reinvent a wheel? I mean, if if there's a, a, a program that's working somewhere else in the world, why can't we just adopt it and continue on? I, I know our education system and, you know, probably curriculum's different, mm. but the, the principles of how they run it, I'm sure, why can't we, you know, emulate them? Yeah, I do know, like, why we're away in Thailand, a lot of the teams, they're 
lived together and schooled together for 18 months prior to the tournament, which is wow. intense. Yeah. But also you can... How long before? 18 months. So they're living together, schooled together. Everything's, you know, managed for them and they've got this... And even some countries, they have them and they pick players out from really, really young ages and then nurture them into the footballers from, you know, ages of three or four. And that's, you know, that's what you really need for a good development of a player. I mean, how many players have we seen in the past that have shown a lot of potential uh, and due to finances and then loss of interest, we've lost these, you know... Distances, mm mm-hmm. These quality players, so, yeah, I think it's a good point you raised. I have a question. What do you think that we can take out of this year's A-League season as the positives? <laughs> yeah, good one, guys. Okay, so uh, when Chris mentioned about the online um, engagement, I thought immediately of the engagement that we have here with the live streaming for the NPL and how that's been taken up. Mm. And, uh, you know, it, it's akin to the same thing. And I, then I jumped to... Um, the E, hang on, the E League, yeah, and how Football West had been trying to get a couple of E Leagues up in the last couple of years. Nothing to do with COVID, just something that they'd been in, investigating and mm-hmm. um, implementing. And then I th- jumped to FIFA and E League and how they have a million dollars as the prize money. And I think, whew, you know, wouldn't you want to be involved with that if you're yeah. a bit of a gamer? So this is all the online engagement that they are moving into as a football, you know, administration or management. So this year has been the perfect scenario. It's been a perfect platform to move into those spaces and utilise them to the benefit of football. Mm. It really has. Uh, I think, you know, while we had that uh, bit of silence with the (laughs) A-League, I think, you know, Traditionally, people want to be out there supporting the team, mm-hmm. and, and I, I, traditionally, and they they want and I want the atmosphere. That I'm sure the players, you know, they always talk about the home team advantage, yep. mm-hmm. and it's not because it's the ground; it's because of the spectators. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, when they they're attacking, they're making an attacking move, and they're going for goal. You know, the roar the of the crowd yep. spurs them on. You know, you're not getting that. Even though Chris said, you know, it's a neutral ground, they're not playing in Wellington, it really doesn't matter for the players if they know they've got the supporters behind them yeah. and they're egging them on and cheering them on. Mm-hmm. That's it. They always talk about the 12th man yeah, yeah. being the crowd. So they're missing that, I think, um, and we need – and I, I think for me just to watch them from a distance, it's not the same. And that's where I think it's me – Missing the passion for this year. I, I agree. If you watch it from home, like I might say, watch the final this afternoon, and um, none of my family members are interested in soccer like I am, mm-hmm. so they'll be doing other things. And I'm like, I could be at a game here with my mates around me who are interested, um, mm. going and grabbing a coffee and coming back with two for my mates, and that's what you get at a game. It's a day out. Yeah, correct. Mm. You know, it's 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 actually yeah. an event. I mean. Going to the Women's World Cup was an experience that I'll never forget because I was talking to people that I've never met, foreigners who were opponents of ours Mm. on the day, you know, once the game start, you know, we're against each other. Afterwards, we're we're talking, you know, about their culture and and, and their passion of football. That's what you cannot, cannot... um, Replace. Replace yeah. at yeah. all. I agree. I agree. Uh, I know Simon Hill has been um, 
yeah, cracking on about that one for many, many years. You know, how do we get people at the games? That's what you need, people at games, and that's what Tony Sage says. You know, become a member. Um, don't just buy a ticket haphazardly. Become a member because it supports the club. Yeah. They can plan and um, put money in the coffers and buy better players and you know, do whatever they need to do. We are going to come back and talk more football with um, Mum FC coach Peter Rackage. This is Penn, Miranda and Lou in the World Football Programme. Radio Fremantle, 107.9 FM. Do we really believe they come from somewhere else? That's it. Leagues and far-off lands. Galaxies full of superstars. What if they were made right here? In the city streets and sun-drenched suburbs. Small towns and home grounds. Our parks and pitches aren't just rectangles of dirt and turf. They're fertile grounds where greatness is unearthed. Where rogage was raised. Where curl was grown. Even if they end up there, they all start here. In front of our eyes and hearts. And right here is where you'll find the next one. Gate and Fence Hardware WA is your hardware shop online. Find all the parts you need to fix, make and secure your gates and fences. Friendly staff and family offer advice to help your project along or order in your special part. Gate and Fence Hardware WA. Station sponsor. The World Football Program is a community program run by volunteers. Just like our host station, Radio Fremantle, applies for government grants and sponsorships from year to year to keep us on air. Your support by way of station membership or donation is greatly valued. Contact Radio Fremantle weekdays 94942100 for information on how to become a member or to donate to the station. Thanks for your support. This is it. Everything we've been working for. The early mornings, late nights and sacrifices have all led to this. A World Cup on home soil. Our chance to welcome the world. Australia's passion for sport and the world game knows no bounds. It's the game that connects us all. Where creativity is rewarded and diversity applauded. We play without limitations. Never taking a backward step and always looking to the future. Nothing is insurmountable. This is the opportunity to inspire everyone, not through big words and empty promises, but by leading the way on the field and off it. It doesn't matter who you are or where you come from. If you have the belief, greatness can be achieved by anyone. It's for the people breaking conventions and smashing their own expectations. It's for the people ready to take a leap but need a little nudge. It's for those seeking that last bit of motivation. We're doing this for all of Australia. We're passionate souls and innovative minds strive for the perfect finish. This is Australia. Australia. This is football. Our future is limitless. We are one, but 
Welcome back to the World Football Program. I traditionally hold Qantas in my thoughts when I hear that song. Uh, I wonder how they're doing. And as the only national carrier now, we should be totally supporting them because if all the other business flight businesses are going out of business, that might be the only way we're going to get around Australia for a while, Luke. <laughs> Uh, there's always the car, Pen. Yeah, there is. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the train, the bus, yeah, yeah that, that is true. No, it is. It, it's, it's devastating worldwide and uh, to – I mean, I've got a son in New York City right now. We, we're trying to work out how he's going to get back for Christmas if he can get back. So it's it's very hard. There's 300,000 Australians that want to get home and they yeah. can only, only 500 at a time. So mm. it just doesn't equate. Um, and it would be a shame to see – you know, um, any carrier. I mean, and it's not just Qantas, Lufthansa in Germany struggling, you know, Singapore Airlines in Singapore, Malaysian and so on. Yep. So, yeah. But that song, you know, you may not know um, Miranda, but it was <laughs> written by Bruce Woodley who was a, um, one of the Seekers. So I don't know if you... I did not know that. Oh, come on, Penny. Sorry. <laughs> he was... He well, the secret. My father bought me my first forty-five, which is a record, a small <laughs> okay. record. Uh, I'm just giving you a history lesson yeah, here, Miranda. <laughs> uh, was uh, Georgie Girl by the Seekers? So mm-hmm. look at look up that one online. So <laughs> they were my favourite band of the day. So it's- yeah, great song. Great song, and they even talked about changing the national anthem again to that song. But <laughs> yeah. I don't think that'll happen. So we're welcoming Peter Rackett, who is the Mum FC NPLW coach on the line now. Good morning, Peter. How are you going? I'm good, thanks, Penny and the crew. How are you? We're really good. Uh, talking about lots of interesting things, as we always do in two hours of football. Never enough to, to talk football. Absolutely. It's all, it's all good. It's the world game. It connects all of us in some way, which is great. I don't think there's any other activity in the world that could probably connect like probably soccer and the world game does. Mm. No, I mean... It- I've always said, you know, if you want to have a kick around, you drop, drop a shirt, two shirts, and you got a goal, and then you got a ball. That's it. Anywhere in the world, don't speak the language. Exactly, Just get the ball out and yeah, go for it. That's the world language, isn't it? Absolutely, and it's, yeah, it's great that uh, participation for females is going through the roof steadily and. Yeah, it's just doing what it's doing, going along the pathways it is. Peter, congratulations on a terrific first season as coach of an NPL team and to the team on their first year in the Women's National Premier League being such a force sitting top of the league. Great job. Thank you. Um, but still still a lot to go uh, and anything can happen. So, yeah, it has, um, it has been quite an interesting season, obviously, from the get-go, um, but I'm – pretty happy with where we're sitting at the moment and just taking each week as it comes. So um, as we've seen with recent weeks and stuff like that, pretty much anything can happen across the table. So as long as we're focusing on what's in front of us, I'm hoping that the teams underneath can almost do us a favour as well <laughs> and hopefully we can hopefully we can stretch that lead. So yeah, couldn't complain though really, um, especially with how tough everything's been. So, I was yeah. at the Northern Redbacks game, uh, Peter, and the the way you got the squad working, uh, they seem quite disciplined in, in the way that you you structured the team uh, with your game plan. Uh, is it something that you've been working with the girls in training? Absolutely, yeah. Um, in terms of like the discipline and stuff like that of the girls, I think I'm lucky to have quite an experienced squad as well. 
So with that, I get, you know, performances that come across the park, which the girls know the extra work that they have to put in to get these results as well. And obviously they know that they have to work for each other and, and the different things that they they have to, um, sort of the hurdles they have to face as well to, to kind of grind out these gritty sort of games and get those points. And yeah, I certainly think I'm, I'm lucky in that regard to, to have a squad like that. So. Has the beginning of the season, which was probably a bit tentative from, for all of us, um, probably more in community leagues with fixes jumping around and whatnot, didn't affect the NPL in the same way. But um, did you find that you know, any reservations and cautions at the beginning of the year, maybe getting back into the intense training after not being able to do that for a long period of time, has that all moved into the best space it could be now? Yeah, I think so, for sure. Um, I was quite hesitant with the way, obviously, with the return and everything like that and how how things would eventually pan out. But for us, it, it worked out It worked out well. I mean, if, it was only really match fitness and, and stuff like that which, which kind of affected us. But we we ended up having to, to play a couple of friendly matches beforehand. Before the season, we were lucky enough to get in contact with Balcata and, and both uh, Perth Soccer Club. And um, so, yeah, by the time... Uh, our first fixture actually kicked off. I, I felt we were pretty well prepared, and a lot of the girls who were training outside of, you know, the the restrictions and all that kind of stuff, they kept themselves relatively fit as well. So when we all returned, we basically tried to hit the ground running, and fortunately, it's it's paid off. So good you, to good to see as well. Can you tell me how the players are travelling on the synthetic surface at Murdoch? Yeah, good. As far as as far as I know, um, I, I did see. I did, sorry, I did think that that was going to be a minor issue at the start of the year. Obviously, because it is quite heavy to adapt to in terms of the players' bodies and stuff like that. And some of the girls who, um, you know, have ongoing ankle injuries or just muscle tightness and stuff like that, it can be quite taxing on the calves and and um, those kind of areas of of their legs and stuff like that. But it's been good um, in terms of the actual being able to play football on that surface is really good. The ball moves fast, it moves quick, um, but it also doesn't leave you much for error either. So if you do hit the ball badly, um, you, <laughs> it's quite obvious. So, but it's good, and I, and I feel that teams have quite you know they've enjoyed coming to our field to play on that as well because they can tell that you know you can play really fluent free football on that on that style of pitch. So you'll often or you'll probably see that games that are being um, rescheduled because of muddy pitches and stuff like that. Um, I can see that clubs are coming down to us to play there, which was the um, the instance with Fremantle and Balcata the other night. So, yeah, good to see. Yeah, that's right. They played their uh, round six rescheduled mm-hmm. fixture at uh, Murdoch. Now, if I hadn't known that that was on then, <laughs> like if I had seen it somewhere, I would have been down there, but uh, it wasn't until after the fact that I found out that was on. So I was a bit disappointed mm. about that, but... Um, that was a, a one nil win to Fremantle, which is probably pretty good for Mum FC actually, because Frio are further down the table and Balcata are a little bit further up the table. So a, a loss is uh, good to get a bit of a differential for Mum FC, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it does. It, you know, from a neutral perspective as well. Yeah, it, it certainly didn't affect us in any way, um, especially after Balcata's kind of their. I think that they're the quiet achievers of the league, if I'm mm-hmm. honest. I think they, they do go under the radar and they do get results. And when you don't think about it, you you see how slowly they do climb the table. So, it, um, yeah, definitely was 
well, a good thing in our hands, if that's how I want to put it. So. Yep. yep. So we're into round eight this week. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm not quite sure how the top goal scoring is looking, but I'm pretty sure we've um, Ellie Lamont's been on seven goals and Kat Yukich been on eight goals that they're probably sitting somewhere near the top of the leading goal scorer table. Do you know, Pete? Um, I'll be honest, I haven't even looked myself. So, but I think they would be up there for sure. I'm not sure if there's anyone else in the league who has been scoring that consistently. I know Sarah Carroll from mm. Redbacks had quite a good few weeks, but I'm not sure if she has been um, fit to play the last few weeks as well and stuff like that. And maybe, yeah, I'm not too sure, to be honest. But, yeah, it's, it's good. I mean, having having Kat and Ellie and even Stacey Learmont as well as those front three, I know that all three of them are incredibly capable of scoring a lot of goals, especially when they're in form and when they're playing well and fluently with each other. So it'll be good to see those three. Um yeah, continuously add to that goal tally. Yeah, I know we do have, um, with NTC, we've got a little bit of a system going where they're bringing W League players into training every couple of weeks and Kat Jukic is obviously a part of that program and the yeah. knowledge that she brings down to training and, um, you know, just giving back to younger players is incredible. Like, she'll stop um, training sessions and give information to players and that knowledge is just invaluable to young players. Is that part of a mentoring thing or in preparation for the W League season? I'm pretty sure it's part of a mentoring thing, but also, you know, if you've got players from NTC that do end up playing in the W League, it creates a relationship already between the older players and the younger players. But, I, you know, during the W League season last year, it was a really good team environment and the older players really welcomed the young players into their squad. That's good to hear. Mm. Have you had any inkling down to your NTC training of what might be happening at W League? Has like any of the – well, I'm assuming that we're talking to a possible W League coach and assistant coach. Mm. If we're starting in a few months' time and the talks have already started, have they been down to NTC training? Going to give us any insights there? No, we haven't had any contact at the moment. We're just kind of focusing on our season at the moment and trying to develop as best we can to be ready for the W League season. Yeah. Pete, what do you think about the NPL set up for this year and how the top women's league has been in previous years? So you've been with Queen's Park and Ben Anton, who's now the NTC coach. So you've been coaching in the top league for women's football. How different is the NPLW? Uh, I think it's I think it's very different, if I'm going to be honest. Um, there are there's a few things that come into it. Obviously, just with the teams, the new teams and stuff that were that came into the NPL at the start of the season and the quality of the teams. Um, I think that, you know, the the expected or, or the teams that were expected to really succeed and, and really kind of run away with some, you know, expected results and stuff like that have, have been pulled up by inconsistency and even teams that are coming out and are surprising us. So I think in that regard... Um, with the league as a whole, it's good to see because then you do have a more, you know, like a tighter race for the title and a, and a tighter race for the top four as well. I mean, you look at you look at where we're sitting on top and it's only three points and what separates us from fifth place, I think, is only six points. So it's only two games and, and anything can happen. I mean, any team is coming out each week and, you know, grabbing points from from the ones that are sitting second and third just by, you know, late draws and mm. late winners and stuff like that. So it, it can honestly go either way. And I think that has been the best thing for the competition because 
in recent years, we've seen, you know, your, your usual top four, your usual top three um, constantly fighting for that for that challenge and stuff like that. So I think it'll be good to have these dark horses coming through and causing a lot of upsets. It, it brings it brings different excitement to the game, which is good to see. Yeah, in the round seven last week, uh, besides the Balcata Subiaco eleven mm. nil, um, which probably added a few goals to the tally of their <laughs> leading goal scorers, there, um, there was only like one goal in between any of the other fixtures. Mm. Um, Perth Soccer Club defeated um, NTC two one at the football festival. So was it two one? Did I get that right? It was two one. Yeah, sorry, yeah. sorry to say that again, Miranda. Yeah. Um, she saw two go past the pen. Just rub it in a little bit more. Then uh, Redbacks and Curtin drew one all. Fremantle and Mum FC drew nil all, and uh, Fremantle Balcata midweek fixture was one nil. So mm. pretty tight. Yeah, yeah. And I do think you know, as hard as it was for Queens Park not getting a spot in the NPL, and I know you know all the parties involved were devastated about that. In hindsight, I think it's actually been good for the league in the fact that that team that had dominated the league for so long eventually um, distributed their plays to different clubs and now you've got a much tighter race. Um, you know, some going to Murdoch, some going to Fremantle and as you say, I think it's just increased the quality and the watchability of the league where any team can show up on the day and win a match. Yep. It's uh, made for good live streaming figures, Pete, that's for sure. <laughs> Well, the, the, absolutely, yeah. The, the other thing is as well that you know now now the league's grown a bit. The other uh, clubs are now taking note, and now that I've heard through the rumor mill that clubs that hadn't considered having uh, women top league games now want to have mm. them. So it can only get uh, better and increase more of the competition, um, which is really what you're after, isn't it, Pete? Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, you, we, we want to have teams that are, want to fight and, and play in this league as well. And you want, you know, the ones that want to come up and relish that challenge of playing against the top teams too. So I think anything with, with what it, with what's happened across the league has, has been good. So as long as it keeps to improve over these next few seasons, um, yeah, I can expect that we can see a good, strong WNPL in future for sure. Um, what do you think that, the um, league or and our club, like uh, sorry, there you go. I have biased. Yes, my FC. All right. <laughs> <laughs> what do you, what Just do you to think? clear the interest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, what do you think are some of the things that we need to do to uh, advance the uh, NPL cause and create a bit more uh, pathways out there? I mean, girls' football is definitely growing. There's no two ways about it. We we all understand that the percentages of female participation is growing, and there's more leagues, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But what do you think that maybe we need to do at Mum FC and other clubs might need to do to advance the cause a bit more, Pete? Um, probably, it would be good to have strong relationships with these with the schools and the football schools and academies and stuff like that, which which are around Perth. I think developing that partnership and trying to grow players through that system would, would be really effective, as particularly if there were enough schools to kind of distribute players to each club. Um, because obviously you, you get a lot of those young ones that come through the ranks where, you know, teams, top-end teams and stuff, haven't really heard of them. And these girls that are going to trial for you know, for different teams around the state or around Perth, I should say. Um, again, you don't really know who they are until they do come to the top league. So, And when they do come through the ranks, it's you get these phenomenal young players, like, for example, 
poppy hooks on our on our end who came to us or came to Queens Park when I was there. She was only 13 years old. She was just a baby. And then in her first year, she was 14 years old in the under-23s league and she took out player of the year. So it just shows you that there's players like this out there and if we can have that exposure to those girls, then certainly that would help for sure. Yeah, just looking at the under-23 ladder, which looks very different to the women's NPL, Northern Redbacks sitting on top than NTC, Fremantle, Perth Soccer Club, Mum FC. So, yes, it's like really different. What's your thoughts on that, Pete? I feel as though even in, um, in past seasons, it's been tough to keep the same sort of standard as the level of whatever the um, uh, the first team is playing at or vice versa. There's always been teams that have had stronger 23s or stronger first team. There's never really been a team that's had a quite a steady um, <clears throat> standard across both. Maybe, maybe Redbacks and Fremantle, I think, have probably been the most consistent. But with that, I think it's just hard to maintain because you'll find girls that, you know, younger girls that want to play first team football, they'll go hunting for it. So rather than stay within their respected clubs and, and basically do the hard yards to earn that first team spot. If they get offered it elsewhere, they'll, they'll go. So it's hard to continuously take that 23s team through that same level and, and hold it there. So, mm-hmm. And I know that's definitely affected us. Um, we had we had quite a successful trial period at the start of the season and I expected us to have, um, you know, quite a, quite a stronger 23s team as well. But a lot of the girls have left and moved on and, went searching elsewhere and we haven't had the most numbers in our roster. So it's been quite difficult in that regard, but I think things will will change uh, next year when, when players start to see, you know, who the top teams are in, in the, the, uh, the first team as well. I think that could definitely have a positive impact on it. I I think it possibly talks about the underpinning pathways at those clubs as well. So I would have thought that if you look at say top four clubs in the women's NPL, then if they have strong pathways from the youth right through to the 23s and the same coaching philosophy across the top team and their 23s, then and this is future, of course, because this is a new league, mm. then you'll have eventually those same clubs in those top two leagues in similar positions. That's what I would have thought. What do you reckon, Miranda? Yeah, I think a lot of it actually comes down to well, I believe that the integration between the teams is a massive part of it. Yes. So if you've got your first team and your under-23s, if they have a training session together every once and then a, a while and, you know, um, the under-23s know who the first team is and watch the games and really aspire to get to that level, then it kind of becomes a driving factor for the younger players to try and motivate them to get into that first team squad. And then that's when you see them performing in that 20 under-23s league saying, hey, look at me, you know, I want a starting position. Yeah. Yeah. So with the NTC program, Mm -hmm. we all know that the NTC pathway is quite extensive Mm -hmm. from a young age. So I would assume that the players and all the coaches are under the same coaching philosophy so that by the time they get to the NTC in the women's league that they are the strongest players that have come through all of those underpinning programs. And it's kind of a model that I see that maybe, Pete, some of the clubs out there in NPL, W land can maybe uh, replicate at some point. And we're new now. I mean, Perth Soccer Club are new into the NPL. Um, they, they haven't had a team in 
the women's top league like uh, for a long time. Mm. Um, Mum FC have had state league division, uh, and then I'm just thinking of other. So it's kind of haphazard with the where clubs have landed in previous years. So they've got to do some work. There's some building of infrastructure that's got to happen, like the NTC program. Mm. So in years, I I would like to see Mum FC have top two team in women's. 23s mm. and then in the 18s or 16s they also have top two teams mm. and then going down to 14s and so on and so on Pete does that sound practical and obvious yeah absolutely but I I totally agree and um, I think that with with each year that goes on with the NPLW um, you can only see that probably come closer to to happening as well because as I said with with teams that um, you know, that start to finish in the top four and stuff like that, you're going to want or there's going to be girls that are looking for those top teams too. So, again, you can start to build underneath and, and work your way through and eventually have that same sort of standard across your club too. But, yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more with that. So um, this year was going to be difficult for everyone, especially with the amount of teams and the amount of players that got spread out. So I think um, that in itself, just to get the ground, just to get this, this league running, this year they've done well so far. So, What do you think the league will look like for the following season? Uh, tough question. <laughs> yeah, do, do you think um, there's things that we didn't quite or we haven't quite got right this year as a league that we've gone, oh, man, you know what, we really need to get that better for next year? I would like to see, like... I probably wouldn't like to see such a large gulf in quality between the bottom team and the top. Um, now, I'm not sure how we could or how the league could try and do that in terms of the, you know, in regards to the players that are involved in these clubs and stuff like that. But yeah, I would, you know, because the result last week, Balcada and Subiaco 11 0, that's, that's not what you want to see in, in top leagues, especially NPL. I mean, when you do have these results floating around the ground, which is like 1-0, 2-0, 2-1. That's the sort of result you want to see and that's mm. the sort of things that keeps things very exciting. So if somehow we could manage to, you know, really build those clubs to, to bring them up to that level as well, um, I think that would be good to see. But in regards to the structure of the actual league, I think I'm not sure what else they could really do from that perspective. I mean, I don't, I don't really pay too much attention to that on that side of things. I'm... I'm solely focused on, on just getting the, the good football out there. So. But as the, as more teams come in and the structure changes, then what will your final um, even out the the, the players, uh, the, the the new uh, kids that are coming through uh, the development? So you may not see a blowout in the results in the future because you'll have a whole um, lot of players that you can choose to join your team, um, but you know it, it's it's happened with established clubs as well, Peter. That you know sometimes you get a, a quality squad together, but they they're not gelling, and you can get those blowouts once in a while. For sure, yeah, no, I agree, agree, definitely on that. It's just it's one of those things that's that's part of football as well, and I, I guess that comes from um, definitely comes from the the coaching and stuff like that too, and and how teams stay together and stick together and get through those hard moments and stuff like that. But as long as it doesn't become a consistent thing and we don't want to see these clubs, you know, uh, 
kind of lose motivation and stuff like that to play at top level with results like that because you don't want to see you don't want to see girls giving up the game because of stuff like that. But I don't think I don't think it would as long as it is just maybe an off day or something like that. Then mm. hopefully we can just see improvements across the board um, in future for sure. Well, there's no promotion or relegation this year, no. so mm-hmm. the eight teams that are in the league will be there again next year. Uh, I I think I've noticed that the the infrastructure around all of the clubs has been <clears throat> pretty good. They've got your coaches, your assistant coaches, um, your support staff. Um, I've just by hearing and, and listening to, to different conversations, um, the injuries are being managed. Um, you know, the communication's been good. Uh, that that part is good. You know whether it existed to that level in all of the women's Premier League clubs prior to this year. I'm not sure, but uh, I see a definite structure. And I look at the men's NPL and the structures that they have set up, and it's very similar. And mm-hmm. that pleases me because that's what we're supposed to be doing. Yeah. We're, we've we're supposed to have a system, be working in that system, and and move forward with. Well, okay, now we just need to populate below that mm-hmm. with getting the younger players and more players and pathways, and and that'll happen. So. I, I feel comfortable that we've done a great job this year with mm. the quality of the leagues and the players being distributed amongst it and the quality of coaching as well. Um, I, I think generally it's been good and, and with the live streaming kicking in and attendances and the support from clubs, it's all been really good factors, yeah. I think. Feeling very positive about next year myself, Pete. Especially as yeah, you guys are doing great and you're on top of the table. and you're like, <laughs> <laughs> But the other thing, you've yeah. got to give kudos again back to Football West. I mean, it's, this is, hasn't just opened happened Correct. overnight. Yeah. Putting the they're, system in place. Exactly. Yep. So they've been building for a few years and um, it was a shock. Everybody said, oh, geez, now I've got to apply for a licence. What's that all about? But look look what's happened. It's worked yep. out. Absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah. Good one, Pete. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Uh, appreciate that. Uh, fixtures tomorrow uh, against Balcata. How do you see that game panning out? I would like to gain three points up on them because obviously they – they took it from us in the first game of the season. Um, that's when we, we we didn't play bad. I thought we played well. We was kind of just put down to nerves. So I think if the girls, especially our front three, are firing tomorrow, we can certainly um, take three points from their ground, which I would I would certainly like. So, but again, it can go either way. They are a strong side. They're disciplined as well. I know um, I watched them against Fremantle on Wednesday night, and there was nothing in that match too. So. It's kind of, uh, yeah, it'll be an interesting one, but hoping we can get away with it. Have you found that your players have been quite fit and maintained their health right through the season so far? You haven't scored any serious injuries that have depleted the squad? No, I've been I've been quite good, uh, quite lucky with that, actually. We've only lost one player, um, which was Joey Cartwright, one of our fullbacks, um, due to a health issue, which she basically had to take a rest from the game just to, I think it was more of more of a case of overtraining kind of thing. It wasn't like an injury, but um, besides that, yeah, we've we've been quite well. We had Rosie who Rosie Lahane who was um, injured in night series with quite a quite a nasty um, ankle break, but she's back now as well and she's maintaining fitness and getting her confidence back. And besides those two, it's been good because I don't I don't have I don't have the the, the biggest squad so to speak. Um, so keeping my 11, 12 main players fit has, has been a pretty big task on my end, but it's it's going well so far. So as long as, long as I can keep them all fit um, and playing the football that they are at the moment, 
I'm, I'm very happy with that. Good, sure. good management. Uh, just on that, I remember a year. Can't remember who was coaching Perth Glory. Uh, came out into the league and uh, Jamie Harmore was still playing and all, a lot of the homeboys, Scotty Miller, et cetera, et cetera, they were all playing Navens and whatever and they came out looking so fit and strong for the season. I thought, oh, my God, their pre-season has been amazing because their bodies look like fighting machines mm. and mm. they didn't get injured for I don't know how many weeks and I thought, good management, mm. coaching team, great job. So good job, Pete. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, keep it going. It's uh, good football to watch and uh, generally across the league it's been great. Well done and uh, appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. No worries at all. Thank you for having me, guys. No problems, Pete. Have a good weekend and good luck with your game. <laughs> Will do. Thank you. Good luck uh, for you as well tomorrow, Miranda. Thank you very much. <laughs> all right. <laughs> See ya. All right. Bye. Yeah. That was Pete Rackett, who's the Mum FC NPLW coach, Middle University Melville Football Club, and I still say Melville because mm. I've been at the club forever and Melville just rolls off the tongue easily, I must admit. We're going to go to a break and come back and chat more football with Tommy Dolman. This is Penn, Miranda and Louie in the studio. The top station on your radio dial, Radio Fremantle 107.9 FM. Do you want better strata management? Put Prosperity Strata Management at the top of your list. We provide a flat competitive fee with no extra or hidden charges. We provide value for money repairs with contractor prices reviewed regularly. And we provide prompt professional service with 30 years experience, which is why our clients recommend us. Your property is our concern. See prosperitystratamanagement.com.au Station sponsor. Give me land, lots of land under starry skies above. Don't fence me in. Most West Fencing and Royal Tryon. Are you looking to build or replace your gates or fencing? The OzWest team can offer four generations of advice, materials and kit assemblies for your unique fence and gate project. We specialise in colour-bond aluminium, steel and timber gates. Check out our galleries at auswestfencing.com.au. That's A-U-S-W-E-S-T fencing.com.au. Hi, I'm Louis Prospero, Chair of the Football Hall of Fame Western Australia. We're the first sporting Hall of Fame formed in Australia in 1996. The Hall of Fame recognises outstanding individuals in football in Western Australia. Join legends such as Sandra Brecknell, Julius Reed and Gareth Navin at our next Hall of Fame event to celebrate 25 years coming up in 2021. Find us on Facebook and on the web as the Football Hall of Fame, Western Australia keep up to date with events and regular stories from our team of journalists and committee members. The Football Hall of Fame, Western Australia, recognising the Western Australia football community. Welcome back to the World Football Programme on 107.9 FM Radio Fremantle. You can lob onto our Facebook page if you like and comment like Peter Wright does. Good morning, Peter. Thank you for being such an avid, active member of our Facebook group. Appreciate that. You've got Miranda, Penny and Lou in the studio and we're having a chat with Tommy Dolman, 
match reporter across the NPL competitions. Good morning, Tommy. Morning, Penny. Morning, everyone. Thanks for having us on the show. You're very welcome. What are you up to today? What matches are you covering? Uh, so I'm I'm on men's duties today. So I'm at Inglewood and Floria Athena, which is um, That'll be shaping up as a pretty good game today. Yeah. Um, uh, Inglewood are just starting to find their groove after a sort of shaky start to the season and, and Florida are the league leaders. So um, I'm, I'm hoping there's plenty of goals in it. But now that I've said that, I've probably put the mockers on it. So <laughs> that's my fault if it's nil-nil today. Yeah, the good thing about the um, NPL is that they've set up all of these great media spaces for you to be nice and comfortable and take your coffee and um, you know, you sit back <laughs> and yeah, <laughs> you'll be fine. I think the weather's going to be good. For all the games across the weekend, though, it's like it was cloudy, last weekend. Think, but that's okay. Yes, it's a, it's a winter sport. We accept that, <laughs> definitely. So what's the good things that are coming out of this season, Tommy? Um, I, I just think it's – I mean, if we're talking the men's and the women's game, I think the, in, in terms of the men's competition, the way it's kind of been structured with the, the split, I know it's been met with some mixed responses in terms of – the, the way that the competition was set up, but we, we are coming out of a post-COVID time and the Football West, I suppose, had to be quite a little bit creative with the way the competition was set. But I think it's it's really interesting because I, I, I genuinely feel that any any team will feel as if they can go on and win the top four cup this year, which is which is going to be really good for a team like, for teams like Armadale and Sorrento and, and Coburn, who have perhaps been starved of a little bit of success in recent times, if they can get their way into that top six this season and then play off for three chances for the top six as a result, sorry, three three spots for the top four after that, um, then they're going to really fancy their chances when it gets to the semifinals, I think. I think bottom line, we've we just got to be grateful we even have, have a, competition. a competition, you know, for this year. Um, and, you know, to, to see the quality of football, Week in, week out, you know, both men and women. I think, you know, it's uh, it's great for us as fans to actually watch live football. Yeah, I must admit, yeah. I, I I have been a little bit of a couch potato. I'm um, really busy at work and have not had a chance to get to grounds and watch as many games as I normally do. So I have <laughs> loved the live streaming. I sit back with a nice hot cup of tea, and I've loved watching the men's games and the women's games this year, which I've done more than I ever have before. Well, we haven't had live streaming for the women's yeah. games, so I'm able to watch both and appreciate both. The quality is good. So even yeah. my daughter, who is 13, she sits down and watches them with me, so I'm happy with that too. Mm. Yeah, the, the football's, as Louise said before, the, the football's been really good, and, and, it, it's, uh, and it's good to hear that the people are actually watching the, the streams as well. Um I think the women's competition as well, it's been really exciting. I think when I was on a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about possibly how any team can, can beat any team on their day with the way that competition's shaping up as well. There's a real race for that uh, sort of top four going on as well, especially after Fremantle's results on Wednesday night in that game in hand. I did that one and... Um, yeah, they, they really needed that three points for Emmanuel just to keep in touch with the top four and set themselves for the second half of the season. But they, they defended really well, and um, Dale Schroeder was really good in goal. Um, she, she made a couple of um, excellent saves. There was a couple of hairy moments in there, but she, she does like to sort of come off her line and, and take those risks. And I think um, Miranda will be able to tell you as a goalkeeper that all the, the goalkeepers that are 
aggressive in terms of commanding their area are the ones that have success in this league. Yeah, 100%. You know, especially when national team coaches are looking for goalkeepers, it's all about proactive goalkeepers rather than reactive goalkeepers. So being on your front foot and coming off your line is a massive part of that. And I know, you know, we've had a... Um, when we were playing against Fremantle, um, Letitia got copped one in the nose from Dale in the against Fremantle because she's just come out mm. and gone for the ball and two fists straight to Letitia's face. <laughs> so it can go wrong sometimes, but the idea is there. Yeah, I like goalkeepers who communicate with the back line a lot mm-hmm. too. You do that, and yeah. it doesn't matter what the distance is, you're doing that, and I can just see by your posturing you are just giving out information all the time, which yeah, is great. I do think that's something that I've had to really work on over the past years because I remember, you know, first getting up to the 19s, it's very intimidating. You don't know anyone. So when you don't know people, you're less confident to tell them what to do. Um, But, you know, over the couple of years, I've gained confidence and, you know, gotten better relationships with the squad. And, you know, I think now everyone knows that if you're screaming at someone during the game, it's not personal, it's football. That's a very girl thing, though, because I don't think the, the guys don't have that problem at all, do they? Tommy, they just uh, yell it out as it needs to be yelled out. Mm. Oh, look at Peter Schmeichel. That that box was his. Yeah. yeah. And if you got in his way in your – and he, their own teammate, yeah. he's given it to them, you know, <laughs> say, this is my ball. If I call, it's mine. His son's know? doing all right now too, isn't he? Possibly yeah. landing a contract at Man City, mm. something like that. But, you know, for, it's a very difficult uh, position being the goalkeeper because – you know, that area is yours and um and like Federici, you know, that classic kick from the uh, when Greece chipped it over the mm. top of him and he was right on the edge of the box. Yeah. And everybody's thinking, What the hell's he doing there? But you know, all kudos to Ange Postacoglu put his hand up and he said, I told him to be yes, there. Yeah. So but you know, how do you find it as a goalkeeper? Um from how you got to read the game to where you position yourself at any time? Yeah, I think, you know, um, coming up through the years, you obviously try and develop your technical abilities, you know, your diving, your shot stopping, and you can do that to a sense. But then once you get to, um, you know, 15, 16, 17, it's about game experience and learning the game and reading the game. And that's something that can only be done by minutes in your legs. Yeah. Um, And also... The higher levels you play, and as you mm. get older, you're playing against stronger, faster, more savvy players yeah. who will, um, your coaches will coach you in different ways. Like you yeah. said about Adam Federici, he was coached to coach that way. You might not have been coached, you might not have played that way naturally, but was advised. And how many players can do that over a goalkeeper anyway? Yeah. So that's way, one in a hundred that he stuffed it, muffed it, or whatever. Mm. But he probably stopped 99% of everything else and was a damn good goalkeeper. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think they always talk about, Risk versus reward. And, yes. Um, you know, over the past couple of years, a lot of feedback I've got is play higher, play higher. And it's that thing if if you're playing high, you're stopping, you know, nine, ten goals a game because you're on that front foot and you can cut any balls over the top out. Yeah. But then, and if someone chips you from that position, you hold your hands up and say... They're damn good. They deserve that goal. Exactly. That's, yeah. They've seen that and they're able to do that. That's one game, that's one goal that you've given up. Okay. Have you ever been subject. coached to go up for corners for the attacking? <laughs> I think I've been held back from going to a corner once. <laughs> Have you seen a few of those, Tom, over the years? Um, there Tom? used to be a goalkeeper that used to go up for the 
corners. Was that Schmeichel or, um, hang on, who? Grobbler. Grobbler, yeah. Yeah, oh my God, he was an amazing goalkeeper. Whew. Yeah, but it was also the Colombian goalkeeper used to do that too. Oh, yeah. Mm. That, hang on, he got shot at in the end for doing one of that, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. That, that, was, uh, that, that was Rene Higuasa, I think. Yeah. And I'll never forget, if you actually Google him, you'll, you'll see a photo of him saving saving a goal with his feet. feet. Have Scorpion you seen kick. that? Yeah. 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 Fantastic. Yes, absolutely. Whatever works. <laughs> he did the bicycle kick in reverse, if you can understand what I'm trying to say. So it's just amazing just being a bit of a lair, I think he was. Yeah, as long as it's not dangerous. So uh, what? who are you tipping uh, over the weekend, Tom? Bayswater, Rockingham. Oh, um, well, I think I think unfortunately for – I mean, Rockingham unfortunately lost quite a few players. They were one of the worst hit teams um, out of the COVID period, I think. And I think their results reflect that. They have been in, in a few games, and, and I did them against Perth the other week, and they were and they were in it. But I, I think Bayswater will be probably too strong today at home, and, and they're obviously holding fourth spot at the moment, and they've got – Daryl Nickel, they've got Gustavo Maraland, they've got a lot of attacking talent in that lineup. So I, I would suspect that Bayswater would be probably too good for Rockingham today. Coburn Balcata? Um, tough one, actually. Um, these teams are, are sort of hunting for that top six, and um, obviously there's still a chance to get in the top four by winning the, the bottom half of the split. But I, I think you want to be in that top six to give yourself the best hope of. Um, having that fifty-fifty chance of, of making the top four at the end of the season. So, look, it's going to be a, it's going to be a tight one. That one, I can't, I can't see many goals in it. Coburn have actually been pretty good defensively. I think they've got the second best defence in the league, or maybe the third best defence. So, I might go a low-scoring draw for that one. Uh, now, ECU Junior up in um, Quill up. Quill up again. I mean, that's going to be a tight game as well. I can't see that being a blowout. Yeah, it's going to be. I mean, ECU's very tough place to go. They're, they're, they're quite good up at home, ECU, even though they did lose to, to Inglewood up there last time out. They've they put six past Sorrento, who have done pretty well in the league this season. So, um, look, Guelph have just... They obviously had that midweek loss to, um, to Coburn about a week and a half ago, and, and they dropped points against Perth, who, which isn't... I know they're 11th, but that's... Certainly not an embarrassing result by any stretch. So, Gwalop will be desperate to turn around their form. And, and again, ECU, a little bit like Coburn and Valcada, are desperate to get into that top six. I probably can't call that game, actually. I think that's I think that's going to be a super tight one. But if you're going to push me, I'd probably say Gwalop to bounce back. And Inglewood Florida, you've already said that will be a nil or draw because you put the mocker on that one. <laughs> um. I did, well, I did put the mockers on that. It's an interesting dynamic to this one, actually. Inglewood are actually unbeaten in their last six against um, Floriot, uh, three wins and three draws. Um, and, and actually, the last time that Floriot did win was in the State Cup in 2016. And, and that was actually a 9-2 win in mm. the in the semifinals. So, so um, sometimes the teams have their bo- uh, bogey teams. You know, it doesn't matter where they are on the league. Mm. They could be winning the league, but they play that particular team and for whatever reason they can't beat them. Um, yeah, and... and there's usually been plenty of goals in, in that game as well. I know we were joking about the nil-nil before, but um, I've reached nearly four goals per game in the last six on average. So 
hopefully it is a good game today. And, I, and I'll sit on the fence for that one because I am calling it. So I don't want to get into trouble when I get <laughs> in the ground. The white may not let you in the ground. Um, Perth, <laughs> Perth Soccer Club and Perth Glory? Um. Glory started the season really well, didn't they? Yeah, and, and they've just they've just lost their Major. lost a bit of momentum in recent mm. weeks. I don't know whether that's because they're a young side and and there's a little bit of energy levels with the midweek round as well recently. Um, and and Perth just they're just a little bit bit part at the moment. They're just not quite getting that consistency going across ninety minutes. So. And when um, they've won, when Perth has won this year, it's been a gritty win, hasn't it? It's not been um, f- any flair or anything like that. It's just been a hard-fought, gritty win each time. Yeah, their last, their, their last, their, their last-minute winner against Inglewood certainly backs up your point there, Louis. They they went down to Rockingham and won four two as well. They they probably could have had a couple more, but that that was probably their best performance of the season, but. Um, it, it's, it's always a hard one ruling out Perth. I know they're in that bottom uh, six at the moment, but when the league splits, you wouldn't completely rule them out to finish top of that mm. bottom six split, if that makes sense, and, and yeah. sneak into that top four. And Sorrento Armadale to round it off. I think so. Well, this is actually, along with along with my game, I think, I think this is probably the, the, the next best game in terms of the game of the week. Armadale have, have really given something, I think, to the league this year, and they've been playing... Um, some some pretty good football under under John O'Reilly up there. They've it's always a hard place to go up there, and um, sorry, it's at Sorrento, isn't it? That one, um, but it, but yeah. they've actually been okay on the road as well, Armadale. So um, look, I think that, that that one could be a high scoring draw. Sorrento are in good goal scoring form as well. Put six past the glory down in Albany last weekend, and, and Cameron Teese has got eleven of their twenty two goals to lead the Golden Boot race. So. I'll go a high-scoring draw for that one, I think. I think that would be a really good game as well, aside from the one that I'm doing, of course. That was five past the glory. I'm pretty sure that was 5-1. You said six. Oh, it was five, sorry, of course, yeah. yeah. Sorry, I'm looking, at, uh, I'm, looking at my, I'm looking at the wrong screen here, yeah. So how's the finals? There's only two more games in the league. How's the finals work out? Is it uh, top four, top six? How does it go? Yeah, so, so so what happens is is every team plays every team once, um, and we're nearly at that point. We're nearly at the, the half that eleven game um, stage where everyone has played everyone once. And then what happens is the top six and the bottom six split in half, a little bit like it is in Scotland and Belgium in their leagues. And then we we basically play a second phase, which is where the top six all play each other, and the bottom six all play each other. So there's another five games there. And then of the top six, the top three then go to the top four cup. And in the bottom six, the top team of the bottom six joins the other three teams in the top four cup. I think I've worded that okay. But um, I think the idea is just that obviously in this sort of season, post-COVID, relegations obviously off the table. So it just keeps those bottom six teams involved in the competition. It gives them to play for and it adds a, a different dynamic the likelihood is is that it is going to go back to normal again with every team playing each other twice but again it's a strange season it's something a little bit different and it could add a really cool dimension to the latter part of the season I think so all prize money's off the table this year isn't it oh, I couldn't tell you that penny yeah I'm not 100 pretty sure, on that, pretty sure on that. that's the way it's going with the women's NPR I can't remember what the prize money was Miranda you might know no. but yeah um Interesting. And actually, that's an interesting point. With NTC 
in the league, mm. if they win the league and it's a normal year, would they get prize money because they're a Football West team? No, so I was talking to um, obviously Ben about this the other day and so if we had won night series, we obviously came runners-up, then the prize money wouldn't have been given. But I think what we were talking about is if we win the league, if we win night series, take the money and put it into the program is what we say. You know, you've got... Football West are giving money to themselves is basically what's happening. <laughs> but which some people look upon and be like, well, that's not right. But also you, I think you have to reward the players and the coaching staff and the background staff for putting in the efforts to get to that spot. And to do that, you can put the money into the program to further develop it. So, okay, so I have to do some more research on that. Mm-hmm. That's very interesting. It's like having Wellington in the A-League and are they allowed to win the A-League? Mm-hmm. That's like a bit of a... What are you, an oxymoron in my head? I'm yeah. just like, hmm. At, at the moment. And then if they win it, do they go through to the Asian Champions League because they're in the Oceania group? Mm. So that's a discussion for another at, time. At the moment. <laughs> yeah, well, that, well no, uh, that, they would go with the AFC because um, the A-League is part of the AFC. Yeah, yeah but, but their team not, is th- not. They wouldn't be allowed to. I'm pretty sure that, that part of their registration to the A-League doesn't allow it. <laughs> yeah, yes. But they, yeah. Anyway, that was just a thought there. Oh, by the way, congratulations to the three players that have been nominated for the team of the season by um, uh, FFA or mm. Hyundai uh, A-League uh, group, which was um, Kilkenny. I don't know. How did Castro get in there and um, Alex Grant? <laughs> it's Castro, of course. He's yeah, in no, there. Did he play? He must have played a few games pre-COVID, mm. of course. Beginning. He did. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know. Just living on reputation there. <laughs> um, Tommy, uh, so there's no promotion, no relegation out of the um, NPL men, NPL women. Um, finals format for the women. How's how does that look? We've still got um, round eight this week, and that means there's five more games left of the season proper. After this, yeah. So yep. they're just starting the second round. So everyone will play everyone yeah. twice. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, as, as Miranda said, everyone's played everyone once, and, uh, and and yeah, now we move into the second phase where the, the reverse ties are being played. Obviously, the NTC are hosting Curtin. I did that game. That was the opening Friday of the season, and um, NTC got a late equaliser in that game. Curtin uh, are actually, I think that their, their, their results probably don't uh, give them enough credit for some of the result games that they've put in this season. Uh, I think that'll be a pretty good game, and, and obviously, you've got two standout fixtures on the Sunday as well after that game at 3 o'clock with um, Fremantle City and Perth. That's a big game for the top four and, and also Balcata and Mum um, FC as well. And, it, yes, it's, it's going to be a good Sunday of football as well across the uh, the women's division, that's for sure. It is. Tommy, we've got to let you go, but we did have a good old chinwag with uh, Pete Rackett, who's the coach of Mum FC earlier, about the women's football, and mm. he's pretty happy about how things are going, of course. So, yeah. Yep. Uh, Tommy, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, you're welcome to come back in the studio and have a bit more of a banter anytime you're free. Love you to do that. No problems, Penny, anytime. Thanks for having me on, guys. Good on you, Tommy. Have a great weekend. Cheers, you too. Bye. Bye. See ya. That was Tommy Dolman, match reporter for the NPL. We're coming to the end of the program, and Lennon Bags Groove is up next. Louis, Miranda, thank you for joining us. Appreciate your time talking football, as per Thanks. always. Next week is Sean and the team. Thanks for listening in, everyone. Have a good weekend.
join us again next week at the same time for the World Football Program on Radio Fremantle 107.9 FM.